Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. This is an interesting one. I've used this quote before and it will help level set what we're talking about today. Get this. No one in the world needs a rhino horn but a rhino. That was written by Paul Oxton at Wildlife at Heart Ethical Conservation. He is the founder of the organization and he is a preeminent wildlife photographer from the UK. He is dedicated to saving African wildlife by working in the field, supplying sanctuaries and orphanages with nutrition and medical supplies and anti-poaching units helping them survive. So that's what we're going to be talking about. You may remember we covered this topic back in February. Well, now it's August, near the end of August, and it's time to go back. So let me do a little more level setting. Africa's wildlife threat levels are growing. It's alarming. It's catastrophic. It's not a good thing. Where is the threat coming from? Mostly from the poaching of elephants and rhinos. That's right. People want to kill them. They want to take the parts. They want to sell them. They want trophies. They want jewelry. Not going to happen if the organization we're talking to today gets its way. Traditional conservation methods are falling short due to the lack of funding and people power. That's right. They need more money. They need more people. They need more eyes on the ground and people overhead looking and seeing what's going on. There is a creative solution, and that's what we'll talk about today, technology. And not just any technology, technology with purpose. We're talking about drones. We're talking about GPS. And now you may be used to the definition of ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning. Well, we're visiting today with the organization that has redefined ERP as elephants, rhinos, and people. So we're going to catch up with two gentlemen who run ERP and find out how technology is continuing to help their organization meet its very worthy goals. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers. If you're keeping track, I think this is episode number 339 since October 2011. Hard to keep track. We're just keeping on trucking here on Coffee Break, giving you interesting people, interesting topics, and a look at how technology is working to help businesses and nonprofits. So in a moment, I'll be introducing you again to Quinton Smith. He is a partner in the company called EpiUse, E-P-I hyphen U-S-E Systems. He's a board member of ERP, Elephants, Rhinos, and People. And joining him on the panel today is David Allen, who is an associate partner at EpiUse Systems, and he's with the UAV Conservation Project. He's the director within GroupElephant.com's ERP NGO. That's a lot of alphabet soup, gentlemen. So let's start off with Quinton. Quinton has sent me a quote from Quentin, it turns out it's from John Stuart Mill back in 1867. Yes, it is often misattributed to Edmund Burke, including JFK said it was, but it's not. So here is the quote. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Quentin Smith, welcome back. How are you? I am very well. Thank you very much for having me, Bonnie. We are delighted. Talk to me about this quote. The quote is so important. I think it applies to everything, but we're talking about poaching of animals in the wild where they can't defend themselves. So tell me how this quote applies right now today to what you're doing. 
Yeah, absolutely, John, Bonnie, and I'm sure John wouldn't mind if I, if we if we tweak this quote and say, "For the yes. time of evil is good men, all women to do nothing." Because we have I was gonna say that, but I it just is understood. <laughs> so thank you very much for that. Good people, let's change it to good uh, people. Okay. Absolutely, yes, Bonnie. You know, uh, it's 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 almost ironic that to a certain extent there's a gravity towards evil and specifically when it comes down to African wildlife, you know, people are by default, you know, poaching these animals and specifically the megafauna elephants and rhinos. And the, the reason for it is that it's driven by a value chain. You know, there's people in, uh, you know, other parts of the world that buys the ivory and buys the rhino horn and, you know, abuses this value chain and to a certain extent the poverty of the people uh, on 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 the ground and and you know give give evil the opportunity to triumph and 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 that's uh, that's that's what ERP the good men and good women from from ERP is trying to change. So tell me something in terms of doing nothing. You're doing a lot more than nothing. When let's just do a little background. We'll get to David in just a minute. But Quentin, when did your organization start, and when did you decide? And the people who collaborate with you, when did you say we cannot sit here and do nothing? What did, when was the start of all that? It was uh, in, back in 2014 is when we really launched the ERP as an elephant, rhinos, and, and, and people. And it was, um, you know, a big, to a big part can be attributed to our CEO who had a very personal experience and interaction uh, with, with, with an elephant or a herd of elephants. And then just after that said, look, we need to leverage our for-profit organization and we can, we can certainly talk about that. Uh, that is an uh, SAP system integrator and say, let's leverage our, our power as an organization, start this nonprofit and do something about it. Okay, thank you very much. Very good to visit with you again. And now let's turn to David Allen. And David has sent us a really cool quote from Eddie Vedder at Pearl Jam. Anybody hasn't heard of him? He was, he's a young kid, I call him David. Born in 1964, Edward Lewis Severinsen III, okay, American musician, multi-instrumentalist, and singer-songwriter, best known as the lead vocalist and one of three guitarists of the American rock band Pearl Jam. He also has very powerful baritone vocals. I'm trying to emulate those. Um, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of Pearl Jam on April 7, 2017. And here is the really cool quote. It's the ones without scars. Those are the people you have to watch out for from Eddie Vedder at Pearl Jam. David Allen, welcome back. How have you been? I've been keeping very well. Thank you, Bonnie. I'm uh proud to say I've, I've definitely gained a few more scars since we last spoke. Um, I've, I've had an opportunity to try a few wonderful things, um, roll up my sleeves and, and move away from my desk job. And uh, I think I'm, uh, I'm all the better for it and, and hopefully a few elephants and rhinos are too. I'm sure they are. Now talk to me about these scars. I know it's a metaphor, but what is it a metaphor for <laughs> in terms of what I think it means people with experience who've been burnt or made mistakes or have gone into the trenches. But you tell me, how does this apply to what you're doing with Quinton at, at EpiUse and ERP? Um, gosh, well, we'll start off with that. There is a, a very literal meaning to it. Um, uh, <laughs> the African bushveld is a, is a tough place. Um, I think we have more more things that that sting you, bite you, and poke you here than than even you have out out in Arizona. So there's some very literal scars there too. But um, you you hit the nail on the head. The the figurative, the metaphoric scars. You know that it, it, 
I take it as, as speaking to experiences, um, good or bad. And, um, you know, quite, quite honestly, we've, we've gotten to a point in, in our conservation sort of requirements where everybody actually needs to be getting involved, whether they're mm-hmm. general public, um, governments, uh, big businesses, school children, university professors, uh, conservationists on the ground. Everybody needs to be trying to get involved in, in their own way to make a difference. And, and through their involvement, um, earning those or, or, or sort of acquiring those scars, um, sometimes for better and, and sometimes for worse, but hopefully um, more for the better. Well, I think that's mm-hmm. what we're all about today is for the better, and we're going to be talking about technology in a moment. I have to do a shout-out to my colleague, Ashley Tully, uh, Channel Marketing at SAP, who helped bring us this topic in February. I know she has some family business to take care of today, some health issues, and we're sending our best and hugs to Ashley Tully because we know she is with us in spirit. So, Ashley, we're thinking of you, and I know that David and Quentin are going to do you proud on the show today, and there, we'll leave it at that. So, uh, let's just go around the table. What we usually do is find out where you are, and I think you have some very interesting answers for me today. And what do you drink that makes you just, I have smiling pictures of Quentin Smith and David L. What makes you smile like that? I know you love what you do, but what's the drink that really gets you going and just makes you excited about being alive and doing what you do? Where are you? And tell me what your role, your current role is. And I'm, am I referring to you as EpiUse or ERP or both? I want to know what the proper nomenclature is. So Quentin, you go first. Where are you? What do you love to drink? And how should we reference what you do? <laughs> you, I'll, uh, you, you sequence them in the, in, the, in, the, in the easy sequence for me. Thank you very much, uh, Bonnie. Welcome. I'm actually in Denmark today. So born in South Africa, live in Boston in the US, but I'm in, uh, calling in from Denmark um, and on a, on a bit of a trip through Europe. Um, so on my favorite drink, I think my favorite drink is, is, is not necessarily one that I remember the taste of, but more the memory of. And I'm sure we all have some very vivid college drink memories. And uh, this drink, we called it the Blue Ocean. And it was basically a drink that we made with Kool-Aid and all the, the white liquor that you can find. And we had a pirate's party when I was in college. So this is a rum-based Blue Ocean drink. Uh, and it, uh, you know, I don't think I can ever reproduce it or give anybody the recipe, but I can tell you that it that it brings back some 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 lovely memory, <laughs> memories from from the time. Well, um, I have the recipe. I, I have the recipe. Oh, Do you want it? It's on Google now. Don't tell me. <laughs> yes, of course it is. They make it with I think blue curacao. It's one of the most gorgeous blue mixed drinks recipes we've ever. Here it is. Uh, let's see. Uh, Blue Curacao liquor, Appleton rum. This is from a writer who went to Jamaica and Sprite. They've also used coconut rum and vanilla rum. So have fun and make the Blue Ocean cocktail your own. It's two ounces of rum, two ounces of Blue Curacao liqueur, and fill the rest with Sprite, about eight ounces. How does that sound? Coming back to you? I I am going to have a lovely evening tonight. I can guarantee you that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's also on the tipsybartender.com. That's <laughs> yes. Okay, so yeah, you can and Rum Island cocktail as well. So go ahead. So what? What, what am I? Am I talking to you as EpiUse? Am I talking to you as ERP or a mix of both, Quentin? Yes, Bonnie, and that's actually part of what I'd say. You know, our secret sauce is, or what our unique business model is. Um, so we do NGO DIY. So we run this nonprofit ourselves. So both David and I are working for EPUs, which is a company that 
provide SAP services and that is our day job. We spend time with clients and we work with SAP software. And then, um, you know, in addition to that, we run this uh, non-profit, Elephant Rhinos and People and ERP, which is also, of course, where the whimsical workplay comes from. Because mm-hmm. SAP being an enterprise resource planning system, we tell our clients, don't worry, we're still in ERP for profit, but we're now also an ERP non-profit. And what makes it unique from a business point or a business model point of view is that we do this ourselves. I think in traditional corporate social responsibility programs, you would take a percentage of your profit or your revenue and you would donate it to some organization and, and you know, they would do their good work with it. Whereas we felt we can leverage our professional expertise in delivering services, both technology-wise and project management-wise and otherwise, uh, you know, to, to support our cause. So, yes, you talk to me in both capacities. Thank you very much. That's very interesting, and I'm glad we rediscovered the recipe for the Blue Ocean cocktail. I don't know if I could have that much rum, but I, I might try to make one myself. I think it's a Curacao that would get bring me down to my knees, not the rum, probably. Thank you very much, Quentin. David, no competition here on the drink, but we'd really love to know. First of all, where are you today? And second of all, what do you love to drink? What keeps you going, and what is your role today? Um, I think if you'd uh, if we'd had this call a, a couple of days ago, I would have been able to pip Quinton and, and tell you I was out in a, a big fine reserve, um, you know, steering off into the, the sunset. But at the moment, I'm somewhere reasonably mundane. I'm I'm in uh, Pretoria um, or, or Trani metropolitan area in uh, in sunny South Africa at the moment. Uh, it's about five o'clock in the evening. Um, it's it's meant to be the end of winter, and I'm quite happily sitting here in a, a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> After a long day in the office, um, we're we're blessed with a wonderful climate down here. Good, and I'm glad it's not too late. It's only five p.m. It's a, it must be about if it's uh, it's eleven seventeen here. I'm in Durham, North Carolina, and it's a lovely summer day as well. I'm not wearing shorts, but a short dress, so that'll have that that will have to do in my office. So there you go. What, what's your role? What are you doing today uh, for the organization? Uh, I think similarly to to Quinton, I, I have multiple hats I wear depending on 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 what I'm rep- what I'm representing. But um, today it's a it's a very easy one. There's there's an ERP hat firmly uh, on my head right now. Um, I'm hoping to talk to you today as the the sort of lead, if if you will, of our ERP um, Air Force, which is effectively um, the project we we use to try and get uh, a nice uh, eye in the sky involved in mm-hmm. conservation. Uh, we have a, a UAV, a drone, if you will. Um, we have some nice optics linked to it, and, and that's the hat I'll be be talking to you uh, under today. Okay, thank you very much. And as I said, I'm in Durham, North Carolina. I think I was I was already here when I spoke to you in February. We've had what I call Florida weather, in case you're interested. You can be in the middle of a gorgeous day right now. It's blue sky, sunshine. The trees are just waving gently in the air. No real no real wind. A couple of fluffy white clouds. It's it's just beautiful outside my office window. And then all of a sudden the sky can go dark on just no notice at all, just dark, wind picks up, trees are going sideways, rain is coming down, pelting the sidewalk, pelting the street, the trees are just enjoying the water and begging for mercy, the lightning, the thunder, and in 20 to 30 minutes, it's all gone, and you're back to 90 degrees, blue skies, and fluffy white clouds, and it's a little bit confusing. We have a rainstorm and thunder almost every night this week, just out of the blue. I keep asking Alexa, is it going to rain today? And she'll say, 
2 p.m., 42.5% chance of rain, 0. 0.0059 inches. And then she stops talking and she's never right. So it, it comes at 1 or 2 in the morning or 5 or 6 in the afternoon. You never know. But, gentlemen, you know they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. And I think you figured out why already. All I'm having is a happy glass of water with a yellow straw because I'm happy yellow represents sunshine. And that's what we love here. So if you're just tuning in, we are catching up with two gentlemen at Epi. That's E-P-I hyphen U-S-E. And their nonprofit is E-R-P. That's Elephants, Rhinos, and People, Technology and Purpose in the Wild. And we're catching up with Quentin Smith and David Allen today, trying to see how technology is helping them with their conservation efforts, with their anti-poaching efforts, and what's going on. So I think we're going to take a very quick break and regroup here. We're a little bit early. We have plenty of time. So we'll go out for just about 90 seconds, and then we're going to come back with a very, of course, dynamic and insightful roundtable, finding out about technology with purpose. Maybe we'll inspire some people, Quentin and David, to form their own nonprofits or to contribute to yours. But the goal is to show how technology isn't just for profit, it's for good. And that's the message we're going to convey. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. By now, you know the drill. We'll be right back. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com follow the voice america talk radio network on twitter we're at voice america trn you'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows this week's featured guests and general happenings that you should know about at the voice america talk radio network now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office just go to twitter.com forward slash voice america trn or follow along with us at voice america trn the voice america talk radio network we're on the cutting edge of social media can you keep up your favorite voice america talk radio network shows and hosts are in your car outdoors and wherever you need them to be listen anywhere get our mobile app for iphone blackberry or android at the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. 
Absolutely correct. Coffee break with Game Changers. Welcome back. We're talking with Quentin Smith and David Allen of EpiUse and their nonprofit ERP, talking about technology and purpose in the wild. ERP stands for Elephants, Rhinos, and People. We visited with them in February of this year, 2018, and they're back to give us an update. This is an important topic. If your company is not focusing on something in terms of technology for good, this may inspire you. And that's part of why we're bringing them back for more. So, Quentin Smith told me the following in his notes before the show, and let's do some definitions here. He says, ERP is different. ERP is not a traditional corporate social responsibility program. It's a business model and that we make our nonprofit activities part of our day-to-day business. Quentin, tell us more. Inspire us, please. (laughs) Sure, Bonnie. Yes, that's exactly the case. I think, you know, traditionally, companies have corporate social responsibility programs, right? And that's where a company would take a portion of their profit or their revenue and they would donate it to a nonprofit to to do their good cause. Uh, What we've decided is to say, like, we want to take this into our own hands. Uh, You know, we want to have control over what we do for, with this nonprofit. So the big fundamental difference here is that the non, nonprofit is run by us. And what makes it a, a unique business model is that we do that on a day-to-day basis. So both David and I are, you know, uh, employed by EPUs, which is a for-profit business and deliver professional services all over the globe. But at any given day, my calendar can say, you know, uh, meeting with, colleague X in the morning, work on project Y in the afternoon, have a client escalation escalation after that, and then, you know, ERP, elephant relocation project. And uh, so it's very much part of our day-to-day business. And the reason why we, we did that is we just felt that we could really leverage our professional expertise and, and run this nonprofit as a business. You know, one of the big challenges that nonprofits have is that, um, you know, if you, from a donor point of view, for example, if you would donate to a nonprofit, uh, you know, a big part of the donation is, is, is used to cover the overhead as, as it should because these nonprofits need to operate. But only a small portion of that actually ends up with the cause. Whereas in our case, you know, David and my time is paid for. We're, we're on the mm-hmm. payroll. So when we get money from donors, they go 100% through to our cause. You know, everything is... Is, uh, is is all the overhead is, is covered by our for-profit company. So that's that's the big big differentiator that we you know we, we do this ourselves and that the 100% goes to, to to field work and then we can really run this non-profit as as a business and that makes it a, a different hybrid business model which is which is something new and it actually has garnered some academic interest. And it's a, it's written up as a business case that's that's been taught at UC Berkeley's business school. I was going to ask how new this business model is. I'm I'm very intrigued by this because very often I, I well let let's get David Allen on this. David, companies that say we have a CSR, something they do what in their spare time, weekends, once a month, twice a year. Uh, okay, we'll take a one week trip and go somewhere and do some good. What, what's your interpretation of the usual model for CSR, David? Um, Bonnie, I think it's if I can tie it back to to maybe my quote from earlier. Um, it, mm-hmm. As long as it's making a difference, uh, it might not be making all the difference. But I think, uh, in, in my personal opinion, you know, any involvement we can get from 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 different people, different companies, in terms of CSR spend, is, is certainly going to help. Um, what Quentin and I, and, and to a large extent more people in our organisation, have found is that you do need a little bit more than lip service or just handing over a cheque. 
Um, please don't, don't misunderstand me. Um, we'll, we'll gladly accept any and all checks, but um, we actually need, um, you know, and, and, and the elephants and rhino themselves need a little bit more than that. They need more than just lip service. So while um, I'd encourage people to keep doing um, the, the CSR initiative they are or, or spending a week, as you put it, you know, sort of every quarter doing something, um, mm-hmm. we should be looking to, to scale that up, looking to increase our, our involvement, looking to increase the efficiency of what we do if we don't have the time. Uh, and that's where, um, from our side, we're seeing um, a big advantage of, of bringing in some, some technology into our conservation initiatives. Thank you very much. Quinn, anything you want to add? Because I want to go to some statistics in terms of conservation uh, from David's notes. Anything you want to add before I do that, Quentin? Yeah, sure. It's just about the, the business model. You know, I mm-hmm. think over the years, um, you know, if you really dial it back a couple of decades, the whole kind of uh, social responsibility started with sustainability. I think that was kind of the first phase where companies, you know, uh, looked at, um, you know, reused renewable energy, green energy, that kind of thing. And in the next, you know, I'd say in the late 90s, it was more corporate social responsibility and where today, you know, and the, the business model we certainly apply is a purpose-driven one and, and that it actually turns out that doing good is good business. And, and that's the model that we, that, 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 that we apply, you know, and we started in 2014 is when we, you know, to answer your question. And I think if there's some business leaders out there that's listening to, to our interview, it's, 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 it's the, the way of the future, we believe, on how corporate social responsibility is going to revolve, evolve. And, and that's that, that companies will take full ownership of their nonprofit and run them as businesses. Uh, and, you know, and leverage their skills to, to make a contribution that way. Thank you very much. That's what I was hoping for. It was a way for, to, we want to open the eyes. It's not just about what you do, but it's about the concept. I love what you said, doing good is good business. That's what we're trying to, to drive attention to. So thank you very much. David Allen, let's look at why the problem is a problem what you're trying to solve. And you told me in February, let's see, maybe these statistics have changed. You said Africa loses an elephant every 15 minutes. Africa loses five rhinos every day. In the early 20th century, there were about 10 million wild elephants in Africa. Today, there were only 300,000 in the wild. And the rhino population went from 500,000 to 70,000. Only 19,000 white rhinos are left. I don't know if the numbers are that specifically important, but is the problem escalating or are you making inroads? Talk to me about how you're making an impact. I think, um, Bonnie, you know, know, straight off the bat that the problem is sadly escalating. I think the the numbers themselves are, excuse me, are are fairly staggering. But the the most tragic part of it all, and and I'll have to double-check my dates given we had a chat in February, but I have a strong suspicion that between our call now and and our February call, uh, the last wild northern white rhino actually went extinct. So we've now lost the species. And I think that, um, I'll have to check the exact dates for you, but um, that's, that's fairly tragic if, you know, if, if those dates line up between when we spoke in, in February and, and when we're chatting now. Um, so the, the poaching problem is unfortunately um, increasing you know, every, every single day. Um, we've moved from you know, in, in the early 80s where we're poaching, and maybe the late 70s, poaching was um, sometimes linked to sort of isolated cases. There'd be 
it would almost be a, a petty crime. It would be a little bit disorganized. There'd be, you know, groups of people and, and that kind of, you know, on, on the outside chance that they'd try and poach some elephants or rhino. To, to these days, and of course I'm making a generalization, and then mm-hmm. to these days, though, it's been very much a, a game of organized crime. There's, there are syndicate bosses. There are three or four people in the food chain. There's a, a, a dedicated trafficking network set up. There's, there's often uh, officials in, in government and parks that are involved and that, you know, um, get, get caught up in all of this. So it's, it's very much become the, the game of organized crime. I believe at one stage, actually, there were some um, sort of some, some terrorist activities linked to, to getting their funding from, from rhino horn poaching as, as well. So it, it really is a, an escalating problem. Okay, so the source of curing the problem. Is it in the wild? I know that's what you're doing. We're going to talk about the technology next. Is it in the wild or is it trying to re-educate or educate the people who are buying these trophies, shall we call them? It, you, you mentioned uh, uh, organized crime. Is there a way to reach the people who are the buyers who are standing there with their checkbook or their plastic saying, I'll bet a million on that. I'll bet 500000 on that. Bring it. Do you have to go to that part of the source, or can you just fight it in terms of on the ground? Uh, let, let me go to Quentin for that one, and let's go around back and forth. Quentin, how do you fight it? Yeah, funny, for sure. And this is a candle that we need to burn on both ends. So the demand curtailment argument is a very good one, right? So these are used rhino horns specifically in the Asian markets. Uh, they are sold there for medicinal qualities that they don't have, right? It's, it's creatine and calcium, just like your fingernail. Um, and, in, and, and ivory is sold in all the other markets as, as trinkets. And believe it or not, but the U.S. is one of the biggest ivory consumers in the world. So mm. you know, people walk down Fifth Avenue and see a lovely ivory trinket, but they don't necessarily make the connection through the value no. chain of, you know, where that starts. Um, so that's you know that, that that's on the one end. People need to be need to be educated on that front. Uh, with rhino horn specifically, what's unfortunately happening is that you know the medicinal quality argument. People are, have been educated and to a large extent realizes you know maybe it doesn't do what it's believed to do. But you know it now has turned into a, a status symbol of sorts. So you can have a tea in a rhino horn cup. And, you know, once you've crossed that um, uh, boundary, there's almost no turning back. So you can just imagine, you know, let's just say rhinos are extinct completely, what the value or the status symbol would be to have one of these cups. So to, to a certain extent, the less rhino there are, the, the more valuable the horn becomes, and, and, and uh, you know, which is, of course, a problem. So that's on, on, on that side. On the other side, you know, where the actual poaching happens, is is uh, brings us back to ERP strategy, you know, and that is the conservation of elephants and rhinos through the alleviation of poverty. Right. So, the important thing here is we have a bunch of tactical initiatives that we'll talk about. So, you know, drones in the air, elephant relocations. We even have rhino dehornings that we can talk about. And um, these are tactical things we do to protect the animals right here, right now. Uh, but in the longer term, you know, from a strategic point of view. It's the poverty that these people experience that leads them to poaching. You know, so these organized crime networks that, that David referred to, we use the, the poor little people that lives adjacent to these species and say, you know, well, bring me a rhino horn and I'll give you $10,000, which is, you know, a fortune to, to, to people in, in sure. Africa. So sure. in- you know, we, need to, we need to tackle it on both ends. 
I, I agree. I just looked that up. I found a website from uh, University of Texas at Austin. The website is called Global Wildlife Conservation Group. You may be aware of them. And the article written on May 5th, 2015, back three years ago, Conspicuous Consumption and Wildlife. And they say wildlife products are used as a status symbol around the world. Known as conspicuous consumption, the rising cost of certain wildlife products allows users to display wealth and elite status by consuming these products. This consumption is considered to be one, if not the primary driver behind the recent rise in the poaching of elephants and rhinos. Understanding the motivation behind conspicuous consumption is critical to affecting the demand for endangered species. And they go on to say prices reach 60000 thousand dollars per kilogram that makes rhino horn a status symbol in asia and especially in vietnam did you know that quentin in vietnam it's a status symbol (laughs) exactly right vietnam is one of the big consumers and to put that in perspective for our listeners um that is more expensive than gold so when you get sixty thousand dollars a kilogram rhino horn is worth more than than gold so i mean you basically have um, you know animals walking around in the wild with a you know a piece of gold on their noses, and to give you an idea, rhino horn on average weighs about four kilograms. So you know give it give or take about nine pounds, um, yep. but that's how valuable they are. So you know a dead rhino is worth more than a live one, and and that's the challenge we're dealing with because the the incentive to poach these animals is just so high that it's very hard to control. Wow. David Allen, chime in on this, please. Were you, you also aware of the prized possessions in Vietnam? I'm, I'm just shocked. I had no idea they had an economy that was, was uh, cherishing conspicuous consumption, much less, much less conspicuous anything. So talk to me. Is this something you're on your radar too? Uh, yes, it is. I, I think, Bonnie, the, the first time I became aware of, of these sort of um, status symbols, if, if you will, was actually... Uh, never mind the Vietnamese cases we we're discussing now. It's actually, um, I believe, in Yemen, uh, it's rhino horn was used for the production of ornamental daggers. So when you came of age as a as a young man, um, you got given a dagger. And if you came of age as a young man into a you know a wealthy uh, family, you got given a dagger where the handle was made out of rhino horn. So um, this is this is sadly something that's been going on for a little while and. I think the only way I can can try and um, rationalize it is the more the more fantastic that creature is to see in the wild, the more in, you know the more emotion that creature evokes. Um, rhinos, elephants, mm-hmm. lions, um, the more people associate those those base biological products with with status, which is quite sad actually. Absolutely. I, I just didn't, didn't realize that. So let's talk about the technology, technology for good, drones, GPS, sensors, IoT, Internet of Things, tracking. Uh, David, you want to start or Quentin? Who wants to start? We're making this a very casual show today because it's just the two of you, and I really want everybody who's listening. And by, by the way, this is our flagship series under the 38 series I've created under the Game Changers radio banner. This is our flagship series, Coffee Break with Game Changers. So you are reaching a very large worldwide population of listeners and we're very grateful to our listeners for being so loyal we had over a hundred thousand listeners for all of our shows in the month of july when i thought everybody was going to be at the beach and and drinking blue ocean cocktails quentin but somehow they were listening to game changers radio so it's august and i think they're probably still listening who wants to start talking about exactly what technology you're using and how you're using it 
Bonnie, I'll open the door um, for David. I'm more than happy um, to you. You know, I... <laughs> <laughs> we got a competition going on here. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, David is for sure our, our technologist, so I'll, 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 I'll you know, tee it up for him. Um, you know, I think what it comes down to is, 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 is back to our model. You know, uh, traditionally, uh, a company like Microsoft would donate, you know, devices and software, and Whole Foods would donate food, right? But here you have EPUs, that's a technology company, and we are mm-hmm. into conservation. I mean, those things are, they don't really go together, you know. They are like uh, M&Ms and cheese, you know. They don't necessarily work together. So what, 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 what connects those two dots for us is exactly the technology. So because we're using technology um, and professional services on our for-profit side of our business, we're able to leverage technology um, for you know, conserving elephants and rhinos. And, and, and David leads one of our technology services groups in our for-profit business. And, and you know, as a result, it's now responsible for our ERP Air Force. And then we can talk to, to the technology and how exactly we apply it, David. Go ahead, David. Thank you. <laughs> you're cute. You're teed up. Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> Gosh, if, if only my golf was, uh, <laughs> was that uh, good, then I'd appreciate being teed up. I think I've that was a very, very oh, nice segue. That was beautifully done. Very that in, in improv, you take a keyword and you make a scene out of it. You just did. So go ahead, get off the golf course and go back to radio. <laughs> Talk to me about the te- technology. <laughs> if, if I could paint with, uh, if I could paint the picture with a few more colors. Um, it's important for everybody listening to understand that conservationists are, are exactly that. They, they go through training and they go through university degrees and diplomas and they learn about biology and ecology and, you know, the soil uh, classifications and, and all these wonderful natural sciences. They don't typically learn about special weapons and tactics. Mm-hmm. And they certainly don't learn about, you know, <laughs> being, being shot at and having, you know, intelligent, sophisticated crime syndicates, you know, running around their, their patch of, of, of the neighborhood, so to speak. So what we're coming in with um, is is trying to get technology to, to support those conservationists on the ground, trying to to aid what they're doing, trying to, to enable more of, of the good things they're doing. You know, the, um, typically your game ranges, your scouts on the ground are very in tune with with nature, they pick up quite quickly when there's people in areas they aren't supposed to be. But that's a one-to-one engagement. You know, you've, you've put someone through some training. You've unfortunately had to arm him. Um, so that, that's debatable, but that might be part of the problem too. Um, and you, you've got someone in a dangerous situation where not only poachers are, are trying to potentially harm these rangers, but good old African fauna and flora is not too friendly either. You've got lions and elephants and rhino and snakes and holes and, you know, all sorts of wonderful things, also trying their, their best to, to do you harm. So if we can supplement that with some technology and if we can get some really nice optics out there and if we can get some intelligence and we can just help the rangers and, and the scouts gear up what they're already doing and take it to the next level, I think that's, that's the key goal for us. So in a, in a quick nutshell, what we've done at the moment with the Air Force is to, to combine some UAVs, um, Mm-hmm. Try and automate them to a certain degree. Uh, we've put some some FLIR optics on that, some some infrared optics, so mm. you can't hide from my drone. Good luck. Tell me, tell me about um, the infrared <laughs> optics. I'm I'm intrigued. How how does that work? Is there a a, a red dot that pinpoints something? How does the infrared work? Are they see in the okay, dark, so or how does that work? 
And we actually see during the day using infrared too, which is, uh, you know, when I first got involved, that was also my assumption that infrared would be amazing at night and then we, we'd need traditional sort of, you know, cameras for the day. But the, the FLIR cameras we use, the, the infrared cameras are so advanced that they actually pick up that temperature differential during the day too. So how they work is, is every living creature and, and gives off a heat signature. So humans are a healthy human, if I remember my biology, is about 37.4, 37.8, give or take. Um, so the camera actually distinguishes um, your shape and your outline based on your heat signature. So, you know, we can set the camera to say, look for things that are sort of between 36.5 and 38.5 and degrees and highlight those on, on the footage you send back to us. So suddenly when we're looking through grass and trees and bushes and shrubs, um, it becomes very clear to see the outlines of, of different animals and the outlines of people. And if we see the outlines of people where we're not expecting to see people, um, we know where we're onto something. And, and that information then we pass on to, to our sort of ground teams. And the ground teams then, they coordinate a, a traditional sort of law enforcement kind of exercise. And they, they try and apprehend, um, you know, who, whoever's where, where they aren't supposed to be. Um, so, yeah, the, 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 the cameras are a big part of what we do. Um, we've also then linked, um, you can imagine now, we, we can't just willy-nilly fly around the, the African bushfire. These conservation areas are very large. Um, so we've actually linked in a, a few sensors to try and give us a little bit of a head start on, on where we should be flying. Now, I, I won't be too open and, and broadcast what we use, mm-hmm. but um, there's some wonderful things in there. And if uh, Bonnie, if you're, or if you or any of your listeners are ever out in, in Africa and link up with us, I'd be more than happy to show you in person and we can do a little uh, a little mock test at one of our demo sites, and you can see how long you can you can hide from, or how far you can get across the field. <laughs> I I hesitate to say that if I was wearing my gold high heels and my curly red hair, you would find me without an infrared camera. So I don't think I would be very I would be very hideable. I'm sorry, I had to say that, uh, David. It's absolutely fascinating. Now, in terms of the sensors. Do you actually, do you implant sensors or attach them to animals? I'm talking about IoT sensors, Internet of Things, in certain sections of the wild. Do you put them on the animals? How does IoT work? Yeah, sure. So, so the big part of the IoT is obviously then having a, uh, a, a network that these sensors are connected to. Um, it, it is sometimes Internet-enabled, which is nice. And other times we use a local network because, you know, the information has a a spatial relevance. So you can also imagine um, in, in rural areas, you don't have full broadband capability. Um, those sensors, some of them we actually do put on the animals. So we have uh, satellite collars. They use the Iridium satellite technology that, that you might be used to in some other commercial areas. We use those for, for collars on the elephants. Uh, the actual, um, they're, they're quite, quite amazing things to see. Um, the actual collar unit itself is probably the size of, of three or four house bricks. Um, a, a five-pound bag of flour or sugar, if you will. But um, mm-hmm. the, the actual circuitry in there is, you know, would fit in the palm of your hand. The rest of that collar is made out of um, made up of a battery pack, and even more of, than the battery pack is, is the armoring and the protection because the elephants are, you know, they're not dainty creatures. So we, I've, I've tried before to, uh, to politely ask them to, to take it easy with my collars, but they, they haven't quite listened to me yet. So... Um, you know, the bulk of that collar is made up of, of, of armoring and Kevlar and, and all sorts of wonderful composites just to try and get it to survive the African bush. Um, we have mm-hmm. similar collars. Um, we have some satellite ones and some radio frequency collars on mm-hmm. some rhinoceros as well. 
So the idea there being to, to help us proactively realize, um, you know, where the animals are and aren't. It's, of course, a lot easier to protect them when they're inside the conservation area than if they, they breach the boundary. And not everywhere, not every conservation area is blessed with a, a very, very sophisticated fence. Um, in fact, in many areas, there aren't any fences. There's a, almost mm-hmm. like a, an unspoken boundary, a, a river perhaps, uh, a cutting, uh, something along those lines. And the wildlife has sort of, you know, over the years learned not to leave them. And sadly, when they do leave there because of droughts or, or, or if they get chased out or people enter, then, you know, we have an issue. So the sensors are from the wildlife help us sort of keep an eye on them. And then we have um, a different set of sensors in the field, actually, where we use to then pick up incursions into the area. Um, you know, or people walking through the area, driving through the area. There's different things we use for that. So we have a combination, actually, sensors on the animals and some sensors, um, you know, sort of just passively in the environment. Very interesting. And what about counting? You you mentioned, we talked about, uh, we were level setting a minute ago about from millions to 19,000 or 300,000. Who does the counting? Is it done through aerial observation? Is it done through markers? It's not like you're at a concert and you have a guy at the door with a clicker and says, okay, 100,000 people just walked in and didn't trample him. But but seriously, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, but how, how do you count? How do you know there are 19,000 unique something in the wild in Africa? Who does that? Yeah, sure. So, um, uh, Quinton, I think you can you can tackle this one. But uh, what I'll add on to there for you, Bonnie, is there's so few black rhino left at the moment that outside of one or two conservation areas in, in South Africa and, and possibly Namibia, there literally is someone at the door with a clicker. And um, there are people wow. on the ground who, who walk around and actually follow mm. follow the rhino around in efforts to protect them. So there, there really are that few of that particular species. And then um, yeah. the, the other counting is done through aerial surveys. The, the mystique with those figures, though, is that um, a lot of people actually these days don't want um, accurate survey numbers released. They don't want someone flying over their property and, oh. you know, kind of publishing the fact there's 500 rhino in, in you know, ex-conservation area yeah. because that, that puts a target on that area. Yeah. Very interesting. Quinn, you want to add to that? We have a few more minutes before we go to predictions. So you want to add to that? No, no sure. A few comments on what we just discussed. You know, I think, yeah. uh, you know, what's very interesting about the numbers is that for sure the poaching numbers are bad and they are underreported, right? Because not all poaching incidents can be recorded. Sometimes only weeks after a poaching incident occurred, people would find find the carcasses. So we're right now at the typical the tipping point specifically with rhino where the mortality rate exceeds the birth rate. So that's, you know, that's, that is a, that is certainly a problem. And in, in areas like the Kruger National Park, when, when people take pictures there and post it on social media, you know, they're not allowed to geotag them and share the GPS locations. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the sensitivity that, that, that goes with the number. So they are estimates, no, 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 no doubt. But, um, you know, I think on the poaching numbers, they're certainly underreported. Um, Back to the technology, a couple of comments there, Bonnie. You know, I think the first and foremost thing about uh, how we use it, it's it's for us a force multiplier, right? Today, specifically for rhino, the only way you can really protect your rhino if you're a private game rancher in South Africa is to put a guard right behind your rhino. So through Mm -hmm. the night, especially when it's full moon, there's a guard standing there, you know, looking at the rhino and of course this is a, a job that, that uh, you know the poachers kill the ranger first and then kill the rhino so it's a dangerous job but that's what you need to do today and people don't really want rhino 
on their ranches anymore because of it attracts, you know, the, the, the crime element and, and, and uh, it's expensive because you, you have to have these guards. So that's, the, that's what the technology allows us to do, to scale and to, and to multiply these forces. Um, something else that, that was interesting mm-hmm. that just to, you know, to latch onto what David said was these collars that we, this GPS collars that we put on the, the elephant. So elephants certainly roam around in families and we don't collar each and every one of them just because of the, 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 the challenge to do it, right? So we fly with a helicopter, we dart them from a helicopter and it's a big operation to put the collar around them. Uh, so we would, would put a collar on the on the matriarch, and then we have a, a mobile app with you know high, um, highly secure and authentication that we can see where they are. Um, and those batteries that, that, that David referred to last about 24 months, uh, mm. depending on the upload rates. But you know if we set them to a lower setting, they can they can do about 20 24 four months. And then there's there's one maybe just a, a quick interesting story that I'll, I'll yeah. share with our listeners. On how 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 uh, you know technology is used, you know other people use this as well, because it's so challenging to put GPS devices on 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 on, on elephants and rhinos. Um, they would use some of the other animals as sentinels. So it's easy to put a, a GPS device on you know some of the on a zebra or some other antelope that we have in, in Africa, and then with with the technology we can upload that data, and with analytics we can look at moving patterns. So now it can get interesting. You can see zebras behave like this when they are stalked by a lion, right? But you can also see, you know, herds of animals start moving like this when there's, when there's a, you know, a poacher in the area. So you can actually use the movement of the other animals, you know, through predictive analytics and, and you know, really high-tech analytics, which is a technology that's being experimented with, uh, to be sentinels and actually look out for the elephants and rhinos through their moving patterns. So, you know, there's just a lot that we can do with technology to to conserve these precious species. Thank you very much. And gentlemen, we are at the point where we've got about 90 seconds left for each of you to give me a prediction. So, Quinn Smith, let's start with you, then David Allen, and let's look ahead to 2020. I think things are moving very fast in your industry and in what you do to help conserve valuable animals in the wild. So, what will change between now and 2020? It's not that far away. We can go to the end of 2020 if you want. That gives us about two years. So, Quinn Smith, what will change? Will there be more technology? Will there be more people involved? Will there be more awareness to stop the conspicuous consumption that drives the poaching? What do you predict for good? Go ahead, Quentin. I'll give you 90 seconds. All yours. Sure. Thanks, Bonnie. I think you know, starting off with a vision or a dream, we'd like to see the you know the birth rate of, of of rhinos specifically exceeding the mortality rate so that's where we want to end up right now in south africa there are uh, rhino orphanages where we have baby rhinos where their mums were, were were poached so we want to see that turn around and we want elephants everywhere so that's kind of where we would like to be vision wise how to get there in 2020s, we need to scale, and we are busy scaling our efforts. So we are building more UAVs, more sensors. We are applying more people. The awareness that uh, that that ERP has created through various business partners has just allowed us to to, to scale our efforts. And and we think it's at a at a point where you know uh, people are aware of it on the value chain side and of the good work that we're doing. You know, people are making con- contributions to our cause, which they can do on our website erp.ngo and we foresee that scaling our operations will make that vision come true 
Thank you very much, ERP.NGO. I'm putting that in my tweet. And David Allen, of course, we want to hear what you have to say. Thoughts, please, on predictions. Go ahead. Uh, You've got 60 seconds. Go ahead. (laughs) I'll be brief. I think, Bonnie, if I can borrow something from Hollywood, uh, we'll definitely have a a Skynet-esque from Terminator-type solution out there. We will have automated drones and, and swarm control, and, and that's you know that's just the nature of technology. So that's wonderful. But what I actually think will be nice is, as I strongly believe that by 2020 we'll start to get the buy-in, um, and, and more than just start, actually we'll have proper buy-in from all the local communities around the areas we're operating, in, not just for the, the the value of the wildlife, but actually the value of the the science, technology, engineering, and, and maths that comes with, with bringing technology into conservation. And I think that's going to be a game changer for us when, when those communities suddenly get involved in the tech aspects of conservation too, because I don't think too much is happening in that space at the moment. Thank you very much. Quentin Smith, David Allen, such a pleasure and a privilege speaking with you again. I know you two are busy. You're all over the world, all over the map. <clears throat> thank you for your time. Thank you for your hard work, and thank you for your dedication. And I love the concept that you've taken an NGO and you've made it part of the day-to-day activities of a business. It's not just a CSR corporate social responsibility that you do when you feel like it or is scheduled every couple months. It's day-to-day, and I think that's the key. So best wishes to both of you. Keep using technology for good. I want to say thank you to Ashley Tully for introducing us to the ERP people, and Brad Borkin, thanks for your support as well at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and thanks to, oh, 30 seconds, thanks to Aaron Keller at World Talk Radio, our engineer extraordinaire, for getting us on the air and for connecting me today with Quentin and David around the world. So here's my... My call to action, fasten your seatbelt. Maybe it has an infrared camera in it and people want to know where you are. I don't know. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Quentin Smith, just like David Allen, and you can be one too. Have a great one. I'll be back at 2 p.m. with a new new episode of What Are We Talking About Today? What's Up With Retail, Apocalypse or Renaissance on our Changing the Game with Retail Leaders. Have a great day. Until then, see you later. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.